Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Tonight, President Biden's threat to Vladimir Putin, stay out of Ukraine or face new economic consequences. The high-stakes two-hour-long video call. President Biden's warning tonight to America's adversary as nearly 100,000 Russian troops wait on the border of Ukraine. 50 million COVID cases. The U.S. closes in on a sobering milestone as hospitalizations surge. When, Dr. Fauci says, we'll know how effective the vaccines are against Omicron. Maintaining his innocence, actor Jesse Smollett back on the stand, facing the prosecutor who says he's lying about faking an attack on himself. Teen safety measures. Instagram unveils new features designed to protect young users. But does it go far enough? All the new details that parents should know. Why one in five military families experience hunger right here in America. How can they focus on the mission when your family can't even survive? The Pentagon responds to our reporting. Plus, the latest on your generous donations. Amazon Web Services outage. The problems it caused on sites like Netflix. And remembering Pearl Harbor, the greatest generation is honored in Hawaii 80 years after a day that will live in infamy. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting tonight from Los Angeles. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We want to begin tonight with escalating tensions between the two former Cold War rivals, the U.S. and Russia. As the president of the United States issues an extraordinary warning to President Vladimir Putin, cut it out on the border of Ukraine or face new economic punishment that the Biden administration says goes beyond the traditional sanctions and could cripple the Russian economy. You'll recall Putin invaded and then annexed Ukraine's Crimea region in 2014. 
Well, tonight, Putin insists he has no intention of attacking Ukraine, but is pressing for guarantees that Ukraine will not join the Western NATO alliance. President Biden has been working the phones with European leaders to form a joint strategy to de-escalate or inflict significant harm on the Russian economy should Putin again cross the line. CBS's Nancy Cordes leads off our coverage from the White House. Good evening, Nancy. Good evening, Nora. And in that call, President Biden warned Putin that the U.S. and its allies are willing to go much further than they have before, imposing serious economic consequences that would weaken the Russian ruble and, crucially, cut off Western investment to Russia. Hello. Good to see you again. It was a rare two-hour face-to-face with an urgent agenda to talk Russia out of invading a U.S. ally. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was with President Biden for the call. He told President Putin directly that if Russia further invades Ukraine, the United States and our European allies would respond with strong economic measures. This is what has the White House concerned. Close to 100,000 Russian troops now amassed at the Ukrainian border. Ukraine, a large former Soviet republic, wants to join the U.S. and most of Europe in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. In a statement after today's meeting, the Kremlin argued it is NATO that is making dangerous attempts to expand into the Ukrainian territory. Putin is calling for legally fixed guarantees excluding the expansion of NATO in the eastern direction. President Biden said no. President Biden made that point crystal clear to President Putin today that uh, the issue of who joins NATO is an issue for NATO to decide. Testifying on Capitol Hill, Undersecretary of State Victoria Nuland warned the Ukrainians themselves may rise up if Russia attacks. I think the Russians will have a very big fight on their hands, uh, that there will be severe casualties for them. What was Putin's demeanor over the course of the two hours? Did he signal any willingness to back down? I would say that his demeanor, like President Biden's demeanor, was direct and straightforward. And President Putin was deeply engaged. And um, and I'm going to leave it at that in terms of trying to characterize where he is. Among the other threats President Biden made today, he said the U.S. might send more troops to Eastern Europe. And he told Putin that any Russian aggression could spell doom for the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which goes from Russia to Germany and is crucial to Russian leaders. Nora. And that is significant. Thank you, Nancy Cordes at the White House. And we're going to turn now to the other big story story here in America, the COVID pandemic. Closing in on 50 million confirmed cases, public health officials believe the actual number is significantly higher. A new surge of infections and hospitalizations is being driven by the Delta variant. As tonight, we're learning more about the new Omicron strain from the scientists who first detected it. Here's CBS's Nikki Batiste. Tonight, the CBS News Bureau in South Africa has learned the Pfizer vaccine may only offer a partial shield against the new Omicron variant. An early study by the South African scientist who first detected the variant shows Omicron's ability to evade the Pfizer vaccine is robust but not complete and that a booster shot could help stop infection. 
Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci said based on preliminary data, Omicron appears to be highly contagious and have a much higher probability of reinfection. Symptoms reported so far don't seem severe, but he stressed it's too early to draw any conclusions. But news of the new variant seems to have boosted the vaccine effort in the U.S., with the most people, 12 and a half million, getting a shot since May. And as COVID cases are rising in 33 states and hospitalizations are increasing in 25, many are wondering whether or not to cancel holiday gatherings. In the face of Omicron, what's your advice to us? What should we do? So I'm weighing these same questions as everyone else. What I'm telling people for now is make sure you're vaccinated, make sure you're boosted if you're eligible, and consider using rapid tests before in-person get-togethers to help decrease the risk of infection. In the face of Omicron, public health officials continue to stress the importance of getting vaccinated. Tonight, nearly 25% of Americans have yet to get a first dose. What keeps me up at night around COVID is the number of people who have not yet gotten their vaccine. It is absolutely our best way out of this pandemic. Scientists here in the U.S. are also currently studying vaccine effectiveness against Omicron. Dr. Fauci said today we could have those results in about a week. Nora? Nikki Batiste, thank you. Well, let's go now to Chicago, where actor Jesse Smollett was back on the witness stand saying, quote, there was no hoax. He is sticking to his story that he was the victim of an anti-gay and racist attack, while prosecutors say he staged the whole thing to increase his fame and fortune. CBS's Charlie DeMar has more from the courthouse. Jesse Smollett returned to the witness stand in his own defense, maintaining his innocence. During cross-examination, prosecutors asked Smollett if he recruited one of the Osindaro brothers to fake the attack, to which Smollett replied, As I have said for the past three years, I deny that. That never happened. There was no hoax. Smollett admitted that he changed his story, first telling investigators his attackers were white, but in later interviews said they were pale-skinned. Prosecutors asked if Smollett thought his story would be more credible if he was attacked by white men. Smollett responded, you would have to ask someone who actually planned a fake hate crime. In January 2019, Smollett claims he was assaulted by two men who yelled racial and homophobic slurs. Brothers Ola and Abel Osindaro testified they were paid $3,500 by Smollett to carry out the staged attack. Supporters of Smollett are confident jurors will believe him. Jesse could easily have copped a plea with a slap on the wrist and then moved on with his life. But he chose instead to stand up to injustice. Closing arguments are slated for tomorrow, and then the jury will get this case if convicted Smollett faces up to three years in prison. Nora? Charlie DeMara, thank you. Well, there is news tonight from Instagram, which has been under fire. Today, the social media giant unveiled new measures it says are aimed at protecting teens from harmful content. It all comes as the company's CEO is set to testify on Capitol Hill tomorrow amid allegations that Instagram can be toxic for teenagers, especially girls. Here's CBS's Chris Van Cleve. On the eve of a social media showdown with senators, Instagram says it will take a stricter approach to what it recommends to teens and encourage them to take a break after prolonged use. CEO Adam Masseri. And it's not only important to me that people feel safe on our platform, but that they feel good about the time that they spend 
on Instagram. The app, owned by Facebook parent Meta, is under the microscope out of concern over its impact on children. Moving forward, Instagram says it will point teens towards other topics if they appear to be dwelling on something and will soon roll out controls allowing parents to monitor the time teens spend on Instagram and set limits. College student Lily Miller spends hours a day on social media apps like Instagram. You see what others are doing, what they're wearing, um, and you feel like, oh, I should be doing this, There's, or I'm missing out on something, or like they're living a completely different life. Why, why is it mine like that? So it's... It can be harmful. Leaked internal documents showed the app encourages prolonged use and can lead some teens to even contemplate suicide, something the company disputes. Not only do they know that their destructive content is driving kids down these rabbit holes to eating disorders and self-harm, even suicide, but they're profiting from it. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Marsha Blackburn will lead Wednesday's hearing. So what they're doing is a half measure, and they're doing it because they know that legislation is coming soon, and they are quite concerned about that. That new regulation will likely include new privacy protections for children and teens and may require some level of transparency from social media apps about how they determine what content users see. Instagram's CEO will be testifying for the first time tomorrow and is expected to tell senators the company will support some new regulations. Nora. All right, Chris Van Cleve, thank you. Well, tonight we continue our reporting on the food insecurity so many military families are facing. And because of our reporting, evening news viewers like you have donated more than $600,000 to help military families receive food. Next week, the Military Family Advisory Network says the one millionth meal from the money raised will be distributed. Still much more needs to be done. And here's CBS's Mark Strassman. I make sure my kids have food on the table. Navy wife Abigail Kennedy is relieved. Her three kids are too young to know why they're going to a food giveaway. We go to events like these, so they help build our stock for when times are rough. Near Norfolk Air Station, Oceana, you're looking at an American shame, the need to feed military families who can't feed themselves. The Military Family Advisory Network, a nonprofit, gave each family frozen chicken and produce, 60 pounds worth. Our kids would eat Cheerios some days because that is all we had. Feeding America estimates 160,000 military families fight hunger. Thank you for your service. Especially vulnerable junior enlisted ranks. Almost 30% of them need help. How can they focus on the mission when your family can't even survive? We first spotlighted the U.S. military's food insecurity back in February. Among the causes, low wages, frequent moves, high unemployment among military spouses, and a stigma seemingly born of denial. I would never go to my husband's command, ever. That's changing slowly. For the first time, the Department of Defense just commissioned a 90-day battle plan. Identify hungry military families, connect them with help. Our men and women in uniform and their families have enough to worry about. Basic necessities like food and housing shouldn't be among them. Kennedy is skeptical. How long do you think that will take to trickle down to service members and families? I would be very, very surprised if we see anything within the next year. This giveaway fed 680 families. Most will need help again. You can only live so long on resilience. Happy holidays! Mark Strassman, CBS News, Atlanta.
Well, there's a state of emergency tonight in Hawaii as catastrophic and life-threatening rain left thousands without power. Oahu was especially hard hit with up to a foot of rain triggering flash flooding. Some tourists were stranded and there was even several inches of snow in the mountains. All right, from Hawaii to Washington, D.C., solemn ceremonies were held today, marking 80 years since the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which launched the U.S. into World War II. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden laid a wreath at Washington's World War II Memorial. And CBS's John Dickerson reports tonight from Pearl Harbor. A moment of silence marked the moment 80 years ago when, with the sunrise, came the rising sun. The symbol painted on the wings of hundreds of Japanese aircraft releasing a downpour of fire. Along Battleship Row sat vessels named after the states they defended. Tennessee, West Virginia, California, instantly peeled open from bombs above and torpedoes below. Behind me is the memorial to the USS Arizona, which, like the Utah and the Oklahoma, were lost forever on that day. It sits below the water, still leaking oil, the final resting place of nearly a thousand members of its crew. Lou Conter worked for days searching for his fallen comrades before it was determined that it was too dangerous. He is one of the last two surviving crew members of the Arizona, along with Ken Potts, who ferried the wounded to safety. Ike Schaub passed ammunition to gunners repelling attack planes. His daughter held a public fundraising campaign to send him here. I feel sad and proud at the same time, but sorry for what's gone in the past and proud for what has happened at at the same time. For many survivors, it may be their last visit here. Daniel Martinez is the chief historian for the USS Arizona Memorial. When they are gone... How will that change the way we think about Pearl Harbor? Well, we'll lose that link. And so the idea is how do we touch the next generation? How do we make them care? That's a challenge for all of us. But as a new generation looks on, it is clear that the lesson will provide nourishment for generations to come. World War II started for America in this harbor, and also here, the USS Missouri, where the war ended. The Japanese surrendered formally on that ship. Japan is now a strong U.S. ally, which means today is not just the commemoration of a day, Nora, but a reminder of all the reconciliation that has taken place since then. Well said. What an incredible ceremony today. John Dickerson, thank you. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. An outage on Amazon Web Services today stopped the company from being able to deliver packages in some places. The problems impacted thousands, and not just Amazon itself, but also entertainment sites like Disney Plus and Netflix. Amazon says it has identified the cause and is seeing signs of recovery. We return now to that day that will live in infamy. Eighty years ago today, America was divided on whether or not to join a world war, but that was about to change. Here again is CBS's John Dickerson. 
Just before Japanese planes swarmed, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt surveyed his stamp collection. In the paper that day, the Navy secretary boasted about the strength of the fleet. America was not at war and didn't want to be. All of that changed in an instant. Japan has done what Roosevelt could not do, unify a deeply divided nation. Americans, who would later become known as the greatest generation, endured blackouts, rationing, and workplace changes familiar to those of us restricted in the COVID age. The New York Times wrote, many workers are feeling essential for the first time. She's making history, working for victory. Rosie, the Riveter. The fact that women went to work during the war, how do you think that changed things? They didn't realize how capable American women were. Hitler had said that he wouldn't have any trouble defeating America because American women couldn't produce. I think we showed Hitler what American women were made of. May Cryer was one of the five million women who took a job for the first time to help with the war effort. Necessity changed roles for black Americans, too. Dory Miller had become a hero of Pearl Harbor, winning the Navy Cross, just one of many firsts for African Americans whose heroism would lead to the integration of the military. A fighting force that had been flabby in peacetime went on to defeat the Nazis, launch the Atomic Age, bring democracy to Japan, and assume the role as global protector of freedom. John Dickerson, CBS News, Pearl Harbor. And America is forever grateful to the greatest generation. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, in our Eye on America series, we're going to visit a town where crime has dropped and trust in law enforcement has grown. And a reminder, if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News from Los Angeles. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay. And and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that, that, does, that doesn't count. <laughs> Sure, I responded to everything because responding to you, putting reruns up on the podcast, was like a form of employment. Yeah. And I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.